I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. I'm a guy who's been into green juice for 20 plus years. I love me some green juice. Now, sometimes I've juiced with some consistency. I've done some cleanses and fasts and things like that, and I'm all gung-ho. But if I'm straight up honest with you, I have to admit that I lose the fever for juicing quite often. So maybe a couple times a year, I'll be at the farmer's market. I get all excited. I buy a bunch of greens and I come home and I juice for a couple days. And then you know what happens? I get busy and I get tired of the labor intensive juicing process. And then the rest of my greens go bad. That's one of the reasons I was so pumped to discover this company Organifi that makes a green juice powder. So it's got all of the greens that I would normally take in a juice, or at least the nutrients of them, but also all these amazing herbs, and it doesn't have any sugar. It's sweetened with just a little stevia, and so it tastes like a sweet green juice, but it doesn't have the crash that like a full-on fruit and vegetable type juice would have. Now, those are great for a treat here and there, but I really get down with the Organifi green juice, and it saves me a lot of money because my vegetables don't go bad. I also don't really have to go to the stores often. It's really easy to travel with. I don't know. I'm just into it. I have a big jug of it at all times in my supplement cabinet, and I use it at home and on the road. That's the Organifi Green Juice. Super good for you, super energizing, and it does not taste gross, which many of the powders do. I've tried a lot of green powders over the years, and a lot of them are just super nasty. Organifi is not. It's tasty and easy to use, and it's just badass. So here's what you do. You go to Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I. Organifi.com forward slash Luke. Use the code Lifestylist over there and save yourself 20% off. That's Organifi.com forward slash Luke. It's no secret that I'm basically obsessed with the Four Sigmatic Medicinal Mushroom Elixirs. However, there's a couple other products that I don't talk about a lot and I wanted to share with you because I've added them into my regular routine. These things not only taste crazy delicious, but they have all the health benefits of the medicinal herbs and mushrooms as well. Okay, here's the first one. It's the Golden Latte. It's made with shiitake, mushrooms, and turmeric, sweetened with coconut sugar. It is bomb as... What, how do you say that? Bomb AF. You know what I'm saying? You know what F stands for, right? No, seriously, the golden latte is a really traditional Ayurvedic blend made with turmeric. And these guys throw the shiitake mushrooms in there and it is just insanely good. And also very relaxing. If you do like a hot elixir drink with some ghee or coconut oil and you've got the turmeric in there, there's just something about it that just chills you out. Next up, we've got the chai latte with turkey tail mushrooms and reishi mushrooms. Now, turkey tail is a little obscure. It's a medicinal mushroom. It's not in a lot of stuff and you don't find it a lot. So that's why I really like this chai latte. So again, like the golden latte from the Ayurvedic tradition in India, the chai latte is, of course, the staple that then later went on to the big coffee chains and is now full of sugar and hydrogenated oils and all kinds of disgusting stuff that you don't want. This is a legit chai latte that's actually good for you. And then the last one is the mushroom hot cocoa mix with reishi, cinnamon, cardamom, and cacao powder. This stuff is like the most bomb-ass um, hot chocolate you could ever want. Now, it's got a lot of health benefits, but it also tastes really good. So those are my three picks right now, the golden latte, chai latte, and the mushroom hot cocoa. You can try all of those and more over at foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke Story. Again, the URL is foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke Story. If you throw some of those things in your cart and then use the code Luke Story, you're also going to save 15% off. I now invite you to join me as we travel through space and time back to the beautiful island of Majorca, Spain, where a room full of truth seekers and lifestylist podcast listeners and I join forces in the exploration and ascension of spirit at the Rama Festival, where this solo show was recorded live on location. In today's episode, we'll be taking a deep dive into the lecture portion of the High Love Experience, a transformative workshop designed to help you break free of the judgmental mind 
and find your soul's true power by using present moment awareness, scientific prayer, and the power of your breath. You're going to learn how to access your true identity hidden behind the false self and how to live a life motivated by the power of unconditional love. We learn to numb this high love experience through the process of growing up, through this trauma-filled event that is being human. But today, I want to help you unlearn some of the programming and break through the internal barriers that were put in place between you and your higher self. Before we get into this talk, I'd like to invite you to next week's show, Mental Health Liberty, Beating Big Tech Censorship and the Big Pharma Mafia with Dr. Kelly Brogan. And I'm just going to tell you straight up, next week's show is by far the most controversial one I've done. So if you've liked some of the shows I've done with uh, personalities such as Jack Cruz, etc., and some of the fringe topics that I tend to cover, or even the show that I did um, with Brandon Murata where we talked about circumcision, um, Dr. Kelly Brogan and I, we go hardcore. I might even lose a couple listeners on next week's show, to be honest with you. I might have been too honest, and uh, so was she. But we are really under fire now from this totalitarian, authoritarian, communist regime that's taking over free speech in the West. And I don't know, I might get kicked off of iTunes, but it's worth it. At least I'll go down fighting. I'd also like to invite you to visit my online store. That's lukestory.com forward slash store where you can find all of the best supplements, vitamins, herbs, biohacking technology, etc. This is all the stuff I use. All I do is just put the links on my website so that you can find it easy and get some discounts. And occasionally, if I'm lucky, I might make a couple bucks uh, of commission there to help keep this thing afloat. Here's what we talk about in this live recording episode. The reason why we so often feel life is without purpose. Why being a human being is inherently traumatic and why it's meant to be that way. Breaking free of the slavery of your mind. How to manage a healthy ego and why it's futile to try and get rid of it altogether. Where the highest experience of love actually comes from. Our choices in earth school and how karma dictates how we learn. Pain and suffering as a driver of growth. Self-awareness and the limitless power of surrender. Why being a doormat is not spiritual. And finally, utilizing your higher self's will to guide your decisions in life and to achieve your highest destiny. So now it's with much joy and gratitude that I invite you to open your heart and your mind and join me on a journey to your higher self. Enjoy the show. Most of us, as we move into adulthood, and overcome some of the growing pains of our adolescence. Find that living out in the world on our own can be very challenging and scary and at times painful. When you are fending for yourself and you're no longer uh, under the protective care of your family, your parents, we move out into the world and we don't have uh, any more that love coming from outside other than from our friends and maybe siblings or people that we still have in our life. And sometimes the world can get somewhat scary and intimidating and can get painful. And sometimes we still have experiences that were negative that happened when we were younger and we're scarred from those experiences to some degree. And now we're taking our adult selves out into the world and trying to make something of ourselves and we're still injured. You know, we have these psychic injuries and so as a natural human response to pain, many of us develop different sorts of habits and coping mechanisms from the most innocuous and the most seemingly innocent, like just being defensive or sort of closed off or not warm hearted or not able to be reached or not able to really connect with people to the most uh, destructive ways that we try to kind of numb that experience. And what happens is that we move out into the world and year over year, we start to put up walls, you know, to protect ourselves and to cope and to prevent ourselves from experiencing the pain from the past or experiencing the pain that's just created in our day-to-day -day lives. Because being a human being is inherently traumatic. And it doesn't matter how great your parents were. It doesn't matter what city you live in or whether you live in the country or which country for that matter. The fact is that we just experience things in life that do emotionally and mentally harm us to some degree, whether it's done to ourselves or whether by others, whether it was intentional or not. 
part of the human experience is just picking up pain. And, you know, one of the great teachers of our time, Eckhart Tolle, refers to this as the pain body. And I haven't thought of that in a long time. It just kind of came to me. But we really do store these things in our body and they become, in many cases, a false self, you know, a sense of uh, who we are that's not actually who we are. And as we start to build this callus and we have these experiences in life, it becomes more and more difficult for us to experience the light and the love that we seek. And so many of us end up in spiritual communities and end up in yoga classes and end up in therapy, or perhaps we just end up in a bar, you know, <laughs> trying to, you know, wallow in our own problems, you know, whatever our coping mechanisms are, I think it's pretty universal that uh, we as humans at some point encounter an experience that's unsatisfactory. And through our divine intelligence and our spiritual will, meaning our soul's will, what it wants for our highest good uh, comes into question. And there's a number of different ways you can go. And one is the higher path and one is the lower path. And if you're in this room tonight, you've chosen the higher path, however imperfect you might be like we all are. We all have habits and methods of coping that are still somewhat ineffective, self-destructive, destructive to others, destructive to relationships. We all have ways to hide and ways to numb. And we become more and more aware of those. And we find um, over time, if we're on the path that I know you're all on, we find healthier means by which to cope and deal and we grow. And then we're able to contextualize the problems that we go through and the difficult times that we face from a position of empowerment rather than a position of victimhood. And that's a really beautiful thing to be able to do, to be able to start to transmute the challenges that we face into real-time lessons as we go. But regardless of whether or not we're on a path of awakening, enlightenment, growth, understanding of self and connection to other and connection to God, the fact is that it's still really hard at times to actually experience that the world is working in our favor and that there is a benevolent, loving force that's running the show. Because when we look at our lives and we look at world events and we look at what's going on around us, it's very difficult to believe in good when you feel so much bad, <laughs> you know, and you see so much going on. And as we take the experiences from our past that were negative and we continually have negative experiences, it can really seem at times like there is no purpose to our existence. There is no purpose to life that no matter how hard we try, that it just ends in pain. You know, another failed relationship, another ill-fated um, career move or financial decision. And it can feel really hopeless at times and feel as though perhaps there is no God or there is no deeper meaning or purpose to life. Has anyone in the room ever felt like that? And those of you that aren't raising your hands are shy or totally dishonest because we all feel like that. That's part of the experience, you know. But beyond that, the really crazy thing about it is that once we come out of a, a difficult period and we start to feel happy again, which is really the goal, we all just want to be happy. We want to feel joy, right? It's so hard to reach back and remember really what it felt like when you felt like shit. You ever notice that? Like once you solve a problem or it solved for you, you you think, what was I so upset about? God, I feel great. That was nothing. That was fine, you know? And the feeling that we have now where we feel the sense of peace and joy and ease is always available 100% of the time. The presence of God is available 100% of the time and unconditional boundless, endless love is also available. Because when we name the things that we want in our life as joy, we want happiness, we want peace, we want all of that. I think what we're really looking for is we're really looking for an unconditional love. And that might manifest as a love for a friend or a romantic love, but I'm talking about the highest love, which is you know, a sense of being in love not in love with someone, but being in love with the experience of being alive, of really loving your life. And that experience is always available to us. The problem is, is because we're having this human experience that the way the universe has created and the way we've entered here karmically is there's all of these roadblocks that are put in place that prevent us from having that experience. And our job as far as I can tell so far, and I'm still learning, 
is to learn how to remove those blocks. And those blocks come in so many different forms. Sometimes those blocks are just an emotional experience that I've had that I'm, that I'm carrying with me. And now I'm reenacting that emotional experience in completely unrelated situations in my life. You know, in common parlance, we call this being triggered, right? So you have an original trauma and now something slightly similar to that original trauma happens 40 years later, 20 years later, five years later, and I'm having a completely inappropriate response to that situation because it still hasn't been healed. So my inability to experience love in that moment love of other, love of self, love of whatever the present reality is, is being colored by something in the past that's obscuring that love, that's blocking that love. So how do I unblock that? Or perhaps the block that I'm experiencing is that I still believe that the thoughts my mind produce are real. (laughs) When my mind tells me that person's wrong, this situation's wrong, it shouldn't be like this, it should be like that, on and on and on, you know, all of the quagmire of the mind, the phantasmagoria of thought that's just constantly judging everything as right, wrong, that really thick molasses of duality that we're so easily caught up in, that can obscure the present reality, which is absolutely perfect. And one of the main ways in which the mind does that is not only ruminating on problems and creating problems where they don't exist, but it's in the negativity bias that comes from our need to survive and our natural God-given radar for danger to move into a new situation, a new space, a new room, a new relationship, and immediately start looking for danger. In other words, looking for what's wrong. And over a couple million years of evolution of human beings being in the wild and, you know, tribes of 50 or 60 people where everyone's job is to be looking over your shoulder for something that's wrong because that's how you stay alive. And yet here we are, we're sitting in a yoga studio where we're, I, I'm presuming, relatively safe. It feels quite safe in Palma. I mean, maybe you don't want to leave your backpack on the beach, but I don't think a saber-toothed tiger is going to burst through the window and start eating all of us at any given moment. But many of us can still sit here having that felt sense as we're looking for what's wrong. And when it comes to the mind, I mean, I know this one really well because I lived under the pressure of this for so many years of just being in any situation. I always use kind of superficial examples, but just walking out on the street or walking into the yoga studio or arriving at the hotel or interacting with someone and just being deeply habituated to finding the thing that's wrong first and just finding what needs to be different and having the sense that if I can change what it is that my mind's telling me needs to be different... Ah, then I'll feel safe, then I'll feel joy, then I'll feel happy, then I'll feel peace, then ultimately I'll be able to experience that love. And so the mind sets about in picking apart every little thing and coming up with all sorts of mischievous ways to fix those things and change them to my liking so that I can then be happy. And that fault that my mind is finding might in fact be real, but fault is really a matter of perception. So in other words, when I walk in here tonight and I'm setting up my stuff, uh, I might have a mind that goes, God, there's only, I haven't counted how many people are here, but I've seen this room when it's really full and my mind could go, well, why isn't the room more full? Maybe nobody likes me. Maybe I'm not worthy of a full room of people. You know, maybe, maybe what I have to offer just isn't worth anything. And so that's why there aren't as many people here as the mind thinks could be here. But you see that same mind could walk in this room and it could be just rammed to the walls and I could go, oh, this is fucking annoying. There's too many people here. Why is there so many people? And then the mind will start going, it's too crowded. There's too, it's too hot. Too many people, they're in my way. They're in my space. See, the mind is never satisfied. An unobserved mind is never satisfied because that's its job is just to find out what's wrong and bitch about it inside. In a futile attempt to create peace for you. And that's the real sort of cosmic joke in the human experience, you know, is that we're given this prefrontal cortex and we're given, uh, you know, quote unquote logic, right? And then that logic really turns against us and creates problems that don't exist or magnifies problems in an effort to keep us safe and alive. And who's the us that it's keeping safe and alive? It's the person that is embodying each of our bodies, you know, our soul, our true self, our higher self. 
the person behind our eyes, not the color of our eyes, not the color of our skin, but who we really are at a deep level. The, the entity that's come here into the material plane to have this experience to evolve and to grow. And we're given this tool, this master computer inside our skull and the body that we inhabit whose job it is to make sure that we're safe and protected and that we've got food and that we're able to procreate and we're able to utilize the instinctive drives that keep us here and keep propagating more of us. But without the awareness of how that thing works and dominion over it, many of us live as, well, quite frankly, slaves to our minds. And I'm intimately familiar with this modus operandi because that's how I lived for a really long time and sometimes still do. You know, there's so many times still in life where the mind catches me and it says, ah, I've got an idea for you. Watch my opinion of this situation. And I go, yeah, yeah, that, thank you, mind. That's, this does suck. This is horrible, you know? And then start energizing those thoughts and energizing those thoughts. And like a magnet, then the mind starts finding fault with every single thing. And I don't know about you, but if my mind takes me to a really dark place like that and magnetizes more and more negativity or just perceptions of negativity and colors my life in a really dark way like that, it can get to the point where I can't then even climb myself out of it. You know, and then it's like, oh God, this is going to take a lot of ice cream. You know, whatever, <laughs> whatever one's poison happens to be. My poisons these days are pretty tame and not very effective, unfortunately, you know, very slow if they are. So there I am. I'm left. What am I left with again? You know, I'm left with uh, questioning my mind and saying, wait a minute, is this master computer that I'm carrying around with me? You know, how much is the brain? What does the brain weigh? Like 15 pounds or something? 10 pounds? Does anyone know? Seriously, 11 pounds? You know, it's 11 pounds of meat up in my head that is controlling my whole experience and coloring my whole experience. You know, how do I escape that in a way that's productive, that, that doesn't cause me harm or make things worse or cause other people's harms? Because you know? we can all kind of find a way to shut that down. But then the, it, it, it's not a permanent solution because then those thoughts just come back you know, without developing practices that enable me to diffuse and unengage those thoughts and to be able to live in a state of uh, the experience that's more objective rather than subjective to where I'm living the experience and I walk in a room and go, God, there's too many people in here. There's not enough people. And rather than like, one of the things my mind gets pissed about is that my hips are really tight and I can't just sit like that for very long. <laughs> all these years I've been doing all these physical practices and every kind of freaking yoga and still like I just literally, my, my legs go like that far and they're just, that's it. As far as they go. So, you know, I can make a decision. Is that something that I'm willing to live with or do I really want to put in the dedication of my life and spend hours and hours a day to make sure I have open hips? I don't know. I kind of just gave up on the open hips and I, you know, just deal but if I walk in a room and I find something wrong with it, it's not me that's finding something wrong with it. The me is at perfect peace. The me is in total unconditional bliss and love that we're talking about tonight. The me is the thing watching the mind say, this sucks. It shouldn't be this way. Why is it like this? I don't like it like this. If it was different than this, then I would be happy. But without practices and a framework by which we can create a little gap of separation between the you or the you or the you or the you and your mind. It's end game. There's no way out of that because then any information that's produced by the mind or any reality that's filtered through the mind is going to become my factual reality that I think is true. And if I think the world is an unsafe, unfair place, because that's how my mind is experiencing it and coloring it. And there's no way that I can disengage from that or get an objective point of view. I'm going to have a really miserable life. And I'm going to be sitting there listening to an a-hole like me say, it's all bliss and love, man. It's all there at any moment. And I'm going to want to punch that sucker because I can't have that experience because I don't know what it's like to actually have a separation where there's a gap between who I am and the operating system that's here to give me a vehicle to have this experience. In other words, if I think I am the car and not the driver of the car, then anytime there's a little ping or noise or oil leak or you run out of washer fluid, you think that's you and you think there's something inherently wrong with the experience, but there's just something wrong with the vehicle. 
There's something wrong with the operating system. And the beauty of it is, I think, is in making friends with the mind. You know, I'm talking about the most negative, dark parts of the mind and in making friends with the ego, you know, the personality that's sort of produced or invented by the mind in order for us to find our place in the world and to find safety. You know, the ego and the mind are like these, it's like they have this conspiracy you know, to keep you alive, but their plans often interrupt your soul's higher purpose because their plans are always self-centered and self-seeking because they're always about base level survival. And you can experience this in the macro uh, just by looking at the media and look at what's going on in the world. I mean, all you see is a bunch of human animal apes that are being controlled by their mind and their instincts and their ego, all warring over territory, warring over power, going to war over prestige. I mean, it's always the same thing over and over again throughout history. And they're just poor, unfortunate souls that haven't had a teacher to say like, hey, do you know there's a you? And there's a thing that thinks it's you that tells you it's you. And that's the thing you're listening to. And that's why you want to go to war. <laughs> you know? And so we're given the gift of the master computer. We're given the gift of this personality of the ego. And it helps us differentiate ourselves from other. You know, otherwise we would really all just be merged in consciousness. And it's very difficult to have an autonomous experience as an embodied being if you're all just interconnected all the time. You know, so I have to be separate from you and you have to be separate from her. And we all have to have our separate identities. And in that magic exists the ego, this personality that's seeking a value system wherever it goes to find out where it fits in. And this is what we pick up in the first seven years of our life. We build an ego and God bless my freaking ego. If I didn't have one, there's no way I could sit up here in front of you guys. Or I would be sitting up here with, in a completely, uh, with a completely different intention. And it wouldn't be a pure one. It would be one of you know insecurity and feeling um, inferior or one feeling superior like, I'm something special because I'm on a wood thing that's four feet higher than you guys on a wood thing down there. You know, it's all bullshit. But it has to be there in order for me to have an individuated experience of life. And so the game is to see, ah, what's blocking me from experiencing God within myself, within others, and experiencing a sense of love and being able to find the beauty in, in the most horrific experiences taking place around me and in the world at large is that I've got to find the love and the gratitude for the parts of me that separate me. I've got to find the love and the gratitude that I have a personality and an ego that gets me into a lot of trouble, even though it doesn't mean to, it's trying to protect me, me again, being the real me to be grateful that humans have minds that I have a mind that we can invent a television and an automobile and a rocket ship and lighting and electricity and cars and all of the things that we've been able to develop using the mind and perhaps some guided intuition along the way, you know, genius, you know, the genius, the Einsteins is intellect and the mind, but the information and ideas coming through, I believe are coming through from a higher source of consciousness. We'll be right back at you after this brief, but important announcement. If you are a discerning health enthusiast like myself and you want the best of the best, chances are that you've probably sat there and scratched your head at the health food store trying to figure out which CBD product to buy, right? I mean, this has happened to me on multiple occasions. They all make these claims. It does this, it does that, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone says they're the best. Who is actually the best? What actually works? Well, I found something recently that I'm super stoked about. It's called Onda. Now, Onda offers a patented, truly full-spectrum line of products and bulk oil, actually, that's not dependent on the use of alcohol, CO2, or other solvents for extraction. And their CBD is organically grown and produced in the USA. Now, here's the thing. When you take a plant that has medicinal qualities like the hemp or the cannabis plant, right, and you start stripping away all of the turpines and all of the cofactors that make it really a holistic natural medicine, you end up with something close to a pharmaceutical, right? Now, some pharmaceuticals are great um, in a pinch when everything else has failed, but when it comes to a natural product like CBD oil, you really want the full spectrum of the plant and you don't want a bunch of junk in there when they got the extraction done, right? In other words, when they get the medicine out of the plant, you don't want to be adding poisons to it. 
So that's why I'm super stoked on Onda. I've been using it for a couple months. And I got to tell you, um, I don't have time to go into the benefits and there's legalities, but uh, this product has been amazing for sleep, anxiety, stress. I'm super into it. How you can get your hands on some is as follows. Go to OndaWellness.com. That's O-N-D-A, OndaWellness.com. And what's really exciting is that if you use the code LUKE15, you'll save 15% off. That's Onda Wellness and the discount code is Luke15. Go get your CBD on. And now back to the interview. As we start to evolve spiritually and evolve consciously in the beginning stages, it's like, oh God, the mind is what's wrong. Okay, I get it. Yeah, my mind's talking to me. It's giving me false information. I'm believing it. I'm taking it. I'm running with it. And then I'm hurting people or I'm hurting myself. Or I'm just in abject pain because the mind won't stop chewing on me, right? Because so I got to get rid of mind and I'm going to demonize mind. And then after a while, you realize, fuck, you can't get away from this thing. Everywhere I turn, there it is, you know? And then we start to learn about the ego. Ah, this, this sort of false personality that's also running my life. And the ego is sort of its uh, partner in crime, or the mind sort of its partner in crime, where the ego has these body sensations and these feelings and wants to appropriate itself and find its position. And then the mind goes, okay, I got you, buddy. Here's what we're going to do. And it starts devising all of these intricate, manipulative, dishonest, selfish, self-seeking, self-destructive plans. And so these two are in cahoots. And as you start to discover that, the logical thing would be, okay, so ego bad. You know, if you see someone with a huge ego, usually think of someone who's very narcissistic and, um, you know, uh, what's that word? Conceited. Someone with a lot of conceit and sort of, you know, high and mighty and a superiority complex, right? Or you see someone of yourself um, on the other side of the ego, which is someone who's deeply insecure and shy and completely self-conscious because their value system of the ego, the personality is positioning them lower than everyone else rather than higher, but it's the same side of the ego. And we start to identify that and learn about that and see how that operates. When I walk up to someone, introduce myself, I feel less than that person or unworthy because they have some position which my ego has deemed to be higher than my position. Or I walk in a room to use the same example again, and I happen to be the one with the laptop and the thing and the mic, and I think, well, I'm, you know, I'm higher than the other people, or something like that. It goes both ways. So we we have this awareness, and then the next logical step would be, okay, mind bad, ego bad. I've got to get rid of it. And you try for a little while, and you demonize the ego, and then you realize you're demonizing the thing that God gave you, so that your soul could come here and have a body for a while and have an experience. So we can't get rid of the mind and it's not really the enemy is here to help us. We can't get rid of the ego. It's here to help us. And how do we integrate those and live with them as co-conspirators, as partners, but know that ultimately our higher selves and our, our spiritual will have to be in charge and have to be aligned with the divine order that exists in the universe which are spiritual principles, you know, whatever your spiritual, um, you know, perception is or ideology is, doesn't really matter. It's the idea that there is a, a logical order and a higher order, a loving order in the universe, call it God, call it whatever. And that if we can learn how to align our higher selves with that order, with these laws, as we live our day-to-day -day life, then the ego can exist, the mind can exist, but we can be much more protected from the constant whims and changes of those waves because our true self is now anchored to our God, a God of our understanding. And then we can find the gratitude for those things that are operational within us and use them, use the mind as you want to use it without the mind using you. You can use the ego without the ego using you. I mean, to show up anywhere and do anything, you have to have an ego. You have to have a human ego to walk into your job and be like, hey, I'm Joe. Here's my job today. Here's what we're going to do, guys. Da, 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 da. Like, that's your thing. You're an artist. How do you be an artist without an ego? That's your personality is completely infused and embedded within your art. It's part of the whole process. No matter what you do, there's no getting away from that. It's a matter of living in a state of, you know, ideally, 
as much of the time as one can manage in a state of witnessing and observing that phenomenon within you as you live your life. And I think a way that you could perhaps frame this would be living a life of contemplation. So you have your meditation on the mat, right? On your cushion. And then you have your meditation as you live your life, as you're hailing a taxi, as you're on your way to your hotel and you're late and the taxi driver can't understand your slow Spanish, your Mexican LA slow Spanish, and you can't understand his fast ass Mallorcan real Spain Spanish. And the panic starts to set in and how do you not panic? Well, you don't panic because you see, oh, the mind's freaking out right now because it's scared that he thinks I'm a dumbass and that I'm annoying him and he's not going to like me. And then I'm going to show up and I'm going to be late and my girlfriend's going to be pissed at the hotel because I was supposed to be here. But I, you know, the cab thing, I couldn't get the credit card and the address and my phone wouldn't work and all the things. And in that moment of being flustered, this happened to a great friend of mine today, so I know. In that moment of being flustered, there's a spot to come back to. There's an anchor. There's a place to go, okay, nope. It's okay. Thank you. Thank you, mind. Oh, you patted on the head. Good job. Good job. Oh, you're trying to figure it out. Good job, ego. You don't want the, the elderly gentleman driving the taxi to think you're a dumbass. It's okay. It's okay. You, you're a dumbass sometime and that's okay. It doesn't matter. He's going to go on and pick up a bunch of other customers. It's fine. The girlfriend that you think is mad at you is probably not anyway. And even if she is, you give her a hug and you say, listen, I'm really sorry. The taxi experience was confusing. Here I am. I still love you. you still love me. We're good. You know, what I find is that through literally thousands of hours of listening to people talk about the things I'm talking to you guys about right now is that I have somewhat successfully through my own effort and due diligence and you know maybe 10% of that and 90% of God's grace throwing me a crumb that says hey you know if you really listen to this stuff and start to apply it and really build a, a framework as a human so you know what the hell you're doing here and why what the purpose is that I might actually have some brief moments of reprieve where I'm about to go into the dark place. We all have our dark place. You guys, you guys, this is right here. One of them, you know, just a, a snapshot of your dark place, right? Is that there is in each moment of our existence, a way out. There's a way out. There is a solution. You know, years ago when I was having just a horrible time in the, throes of addiction. And I decided finally that it was, you know, I'd had enough. I kind of, you know, what do you, you know, when you throw in the towel, that's the word I'm thinking for, you know? And, um, you know, like when you see a boxer just getting his ass kicked in a boxing ring and he does, I forget what they do, but they basically throw up the white flag, you know, okay, you win, you win. I surrender. It's a surrender experience. And when I finally had that, someone said to me, man, there's a way out. You know, I thought, that sounds really good. That's what I want. I want a way out. I need an escape hatch. I need a way to be able to keep myself out of harm's way when those parts of myself start to interfere and take me down a place, that road of no return, that dark place, that place of negativity, whether it's just being overtaken by negative emotions, it's more of that ego feeling state, or whether it's just intellectually the pit bull in my mind, it's just, it won't let me go. It's just chewing on my problems and chewing on my problems and making up more problems and adding problems to those problems. And I just need something that can be like a razor and just slice me through that veil to give me clear spiritual vision again, to help me see reality as it actually is. Because at one level of understanding one begins to see that no matter what's happening, that each moment is in and of itself absolutely perfect. <laughs> and, and I'm talking about the worst moments. And that's where the highest love comes in. That's a love for the experience of reality that we get to have, even when it's really, really uncomfortable. Because we need, we've been able to build a framework where that all makes sense. The suffering makes sense. The pain makes sense. The depths of levels of consciousness from the darkest, most depraved evil that exists here in the earth plane to the highest angelic states are all 
to be loved unconditionally. And follow me here. I know this sounds crazy for a second. Meaning that the force, the intelligence, the love that created this planet and all planets that exist and us and each one of us and that has given us the breath of life so that our meat suits are now animated and I can move my arm like that and I can think and I can feel and I can cry and I can laugh like each one of us can, that we've all been given that with a very wide range of possibilities of experience. And so in a moment of anger and frustration or fear or being harmed or being violated in any way, and I'm not condoning any violations or any evil, and I'll get there, is that that experience is a gift to me because I'm allowed to have here contrast from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. And without human experiences in the darker realms, there would be nowhere to go. And there would be no purpose to being embodied because it would all just be gravy. In other words, we'd all be doctor, doctorate PhDs in a kindergarten class going like, God, this is boring. We already know all this. But we're put in earth school, or I like to think voluntarily drop into earth school here in our physical embodiment, and we're given this range of choices from warlord, serial killer, to Dalai Lama, Mother Teresa, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, you know? Without the lower experiences available to us, there would be no grist for the mill. There would be nothing with which to learn those lessons. It's the pain, it's the suffering that drives most of us. I mean, every once in a while, one out of a thousand people I meet, it's like, no, I'm just into spirituality because it's awesome and feels good. (laughs) Most of us come out of some degree of desperation and pain. We want, we want answers. We want, to, we want to have meaning. We want to be able to understand why sometimes we suffer and why there's pain involved in so much of the human experience. And so we start to seek truth and we find out, oh shit, the person that I thought I was my whole life is not who I really am. It's all of these thoughts that are telling me they're me and they're not. It's this personality. It's my male body, my female body, my heterosexuality, my homosexuality, my race, my gender, all of that stuff. None of it is who we are. And the more I can start to identify that within myself and really have that, not as a mental construct or an idea or belief system, but a real experience, then I can sit in the car with a kind of agitated, impatient taxi driver and I don't see... a. 62-year-old Spanish man, if I can see his eyes in the rearview mirror for just a moment, I see an embodied soul whose karmic destiny is to drive me around in that given moment and to teach me a lesson. It's not a man. It's not a woman. They're not Spanish. They're not American. They're not English. That's a soul who's in this particular meat suit that he's in, and we're sharing a moment. And the more I can experience myself as that, the easier it is to not be victim to the personality, the mind, who I think I am, my position in the world, my role, my prestige, my lack of prestige, whatever it is, and just truly be an experience of a human being and to love myself and to interface with people like you guys and be able to have an actual connection of intimacy and unconditional love and to feel that love as a as a shared experience, not as an idea of love of a romance novel or a romantic movie or a notion or a preconceived idea, but to really experience like, wow, through all of the pain and suffering and my knees hurting and whatever, there always is that love that I can tether to. There's always that connection. I can be on the edge of the pool burning my ass off, but I can have my toe in the water and I'm still touching that divine grace touching that experience of God, even though in my temporary experience, it might not seem like that at all. And in the beginning of our evening tonight, when I went around to each of you, and I don't know where I came up with this, I just did it the first night. I thought, God, that felt good. I felt so connected. You know, as I gave you guys a little dose of frankincense, which again, I don't know why. I think because it smells like church to me. I love that, like frankincense and mirror. And I'm not, I've been in church three times or something, you know? But every once in a while, I'm in a great city like this and I wander in a cathedral just because I find them beautiful and there's a certain energy there and it's that smell. I go, oh, it smells like someone seeking God, you know? But when I came around and, um, and gave you guys your little anointment 
the intention there is just to see in each of your eyes. You know, when I see your eyes, I have such a beautiful experience. I was actually getting choked up just just going around and saying hi to each one of you because of what I'm describing now. That it doesn't, I don't have to be liked. I don't have to be popular. You don't have to like me. I don't have to like you. I don't have to see what <laughs> what gender body you're in or where you're from or what language you speak. I mean, all of that becomes so insignificant because I'm able to look behind your eyes and see you and you see me. And the part of you that's seeing that part of me is the part that exists beyond this body and beyond the story and beyond the trauma that I experienced and the hardships and the pain and the failure and all of that doesn't matter in that moment because there's a shared soul connection. And that experience doesn't have to take place in a workshop where we're coming in to have that type of experience. That experience can happen when you check in the hotel. That experience can happen when you're in line at the, I don't know, you guys have this here. We call it the DMV. I try to think of the most hellish place a human being could be asked to spend three or four hours. And in California, in Los Angeles, that's called the DMV. You could be in the DMV and just look behind me in line and see some little lady and just go, hey, how are you doing? You know, and just really have a sense of love for that woman like she's my granny. You know, as much love for someone I don't know. That's the high love. That's the love that's not conditional. I don't have to love that woman because she's a little old lady or because she smiled at me or because she has cute shoes on or whatever. It's just a shared sense of love because I'm experiencing more of that of myself. And I'm finding that forgiveness of myself and an understanding of myself that enables me to go, man, you're doing okay. You're doing all right, Luke. You're, you know, you're making progress, which is something so many of us fail to do. We're great to our friends. I'm a great friend, but sometimes I'm not a great friend to myself. But as I begin to find that centeredness and that place of purpose and really identifying who I am and getting to know who I am, then when I interact with others, however imperfect they might be, and quite frankly, most humans are fucking annoying, if we want to be honest, you know? (laughs) I mean, myself included, to others, I'm sure. But, you know, we rub each other the wrong way a lot, don't we? I mean, how many people don't annoy you? The people that you love the most and that you're closest to the most are the ones that annoy you more than anyone and us to them. And with more of a self-love expression through the identification of what I really am, who I really am, and owning that and, and loving that and accepting that, then as I interact with others, whether they be near to me to, in their degree of intimacy or further out in momentary exchanges, I can use people who are othered embodied pieces of God, bits of God, as catalysts to bring me back to that center. So when I take a moment and I just get to spend with each one of you, I'm just feeling my heart just explode open with love for you. And it's a love that's universal. And it's a love that doesn't matter why you're here, where you are, where we are. That's the place that protects me from the attacks of mind and the attacks of opinion and the attacks of finding that fault. Because there is fault to be found with all of you and with me. But when I'm not focused on that, and I'm not focused on the fault in the room and the fault with this trip or this city or my life or my career and whatever, then what happens is I naturally start to find a place of gratitude. So even as I go through a challenge, there's gratitude in that, even though I'm extremely uncomfortable and I'm, I'm thinking of all the different ideas in the world to get out of that discomfort as soon as possible because I don't want to feel pain. Even in that, there's a level of surrender, a depth of surrender that understands that it's just part of my experience. And I'm also going to take action to change whatever situation in my life is perturbing me. And as we move into the end of this part of the night, I want to emphasize something I alluded to before that I, of course, don't condone wrongdoings of people and condone evil or anything like that. I don't want that to be misconstrued and also um, don't want to uh, condone my own inappropriate behavior ever. You know, I think it's all about self-awareness and improving oneself. But as I start to accept who I am and I start to experience more of that self-love, I can start to be more accepting of other people and more in a surrender to the whole experience. And there's a phase of that surrender where for me, I felt like, oh, cool. So 
that means I'm just a doormat and everyone can treat me like shit because I'm supposed to be spiritual. I'm supposed to just surrender when my car's, oh, my car's getting towed. Well, I should just accept this as the way it's supposed to be. It's all good, man. Unicorns and rainbows. Namaste. It's cool. No, it's not fucking cool. Run out there and stop the tow truck. You know, there's surrendered action. So I want to add that piece in there is important because there is an abundant, unending well of loving experience that we can have. But within that, there are times where karmically we're challenged to stand up for ourselves, or to stand up for others or to stand up for what's right. And there are times where even in a surrendered state, I've got to take action. You know, like, and a fly comes in my face right at that moment. It's so perfect, right? So an unwise surrender would be cool. I'll just let that fly fly up my nose or into my mouth and just, you know, no, it's all good. Go ahead and eat the germs fly. No, or whatever flies eat. Surrendered action would be cool. That's great. It's totally normal. There's a fly here. No need to be upset. No need to be annoyed. Even in my mind, I go, why is there a fly next to me? This is bullshit. No, it's great. But I'm also going to do something to change that situation. When my car is stuck in the mud, I don't just surrender to my car being stuck in the mud and not go where I need to go. I just don't fight the fact that my car is stuck in the mud because Jesus Christ. All right, Fly. The analogy has been served. (laughs) We're good. (laughs) Oh, so good. I've got to get somewhere so I don't just leave my car in the mud, but while I'm pushing and pushing and digging and digging, I'm not going, why is my fucking car stuck in the mud? Forgive my French or English. Because negativity and anger lacks power. Courage, hope, faith, love, surrender, acceptance, Extremely powerful principles in powerful states of felt being, powerful states of emotion. Anger is powerful, but nowhere near as powerful, not even in the same paradigm as love. So unconditional love, when your car is stuck in the mud or when a fly is just loving on your face, unconditional love for that is not calling it wrong and labeling it wrong, but saying there's a way that I would prefer over this and now I'm going to apply myself to change the situation so that I can achieve the desired state. And along the way, I'm also going to love the experience of changing it as I dig that car out of the mud. Instead of like, God damn, why is this car stuck in the mud? going to dig all these shovels. How many shovels? You know, how many of us make our problems worse by just fighting the process of getting out of the problem? And I'm here to say that you know, with however much imperfection um, I attempt this at times, that it is actually possible to enjoy the process of digging yourself out of the mud. And that's what I call surrendered action. So I'm not fighting the reality that I'm in, but that doesn't mean that I just passively lay back in a reality that's harming me in any way or that's ultimately dissatisfactory. It's taking action. It's making a decision, you know? utilizing my higher self's will to say, no, I don't want this. I want that. And being proactive about that without the weakening and deadening force of negativity and anger, which actually gives us less power to change the situation that we're in. In summary, what I'd like to invite all of you to do, and I'm sure Many of you don't need the invitation because you're already doing it. But I'd like to invite you to really start focusing on building the witness in your life. If you're a meditator, to learn how to meditate while you're walking down the street and driving a car and doing your taxes and doing all the things that we do in our day-to-day experience. You know, If you're a yogi and you're a practitioner, take the yoga outside of the studio If you're someone that has a life of prayer and perhaps once or twice a day on a good day when you're feeling inspired, you take a moment and you connect with your creator, your higher power, your God, and you say thanks or you ask for things in a petition that you feel you need in your life that you in and of yourself can't provide, that you then look at the idea of a contemplative life where there's a relationship with that creator, that God going on all the time, not in a set room or a set place where you're altar is or where the church is, but as you live your life in an argument with someone, 
being aware that there's a God there, you know, sitting in the floor of a yoga studio or me sitting on a sheepskin on the stage of a yoga studio, knowing that there is a part of me that is still connected to God and that I can still interact with the world, but I can have a conscious contact. I can have a conscious communion where the prayer isn't just a set aside time. The prayer is being prayed right now. And as I sit here before you, I'm doing that very thing constantly. Trust me, there's no way I would be able to even sit here because I would be so paranoid about doing it wrong or I'd be so insecure or so judgmental of myself or in some sort of spiral of insecurity. I mean, I really would be that way if I didn't have a sense of connection that was ongoing and constant with my relationship with God. And between the practice of meditation, of learning how to disengage from the mind and the practice of approaching spirit in your own personal way and approaching it as you live your life, not just at certain times when the mierda hits the fan, but when everything's fine, you know, praying just to pray, just going, wow, God, cool. I'm walking around a city and you gave humans the plans for all this. And the means by which to build this. How interesting. How strange. You know, in that town I was in today, I'm walking around just going, I was looking up at this uh, cathedral and I just thought, why the hell would humans be stacking rocks way up there on top of one another and building this building? And not only why, but who gave them the energy and the inspiration to do that? And it's not because it was a cathedral. I mean, it could have been a bank or, you know, a school or a home or anything else. It just happened to be a cathedral. That's the biggest building in the town with these huge boulders. I'm going, this is God, God's handiwork working through us. But God doesn't have to just work through us and into us at a given time. It can be happening all the time. And the more that we can stay connected to that part of ourselves and to our relationship with God, where it's an ongoing communion, where there's an ongoing dialogue and an ongoing true relationship, we're much less at the mercy of those experiences in life that come in and separate us from joy and from love. And so with that, I just, again, want to thank you guys so much for, you know, coming to the workshop tonight and for your kind attention. I'm so grateful that you're able to sit and listen as I share some of my experience, because this is how I take myself further. You know, I say things and I go, well, that was weird. I didn't know that. Where did that, who did, who said that? I don't know. Sometimes it's not even me. But I'm the third ear gets to hear, you know, and I get to learn as I go. And having you share that experience with me is just so valuable. So I greatly appreciate you very much. There we are, ladies and gents. Made it through another episode of the Life Stylist Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with a friend. If you want to go further, you can visit lukestory.com forward slash store. It's a great way to support my mission, which is actually our mission, is it not? to enlighten the world one mind and heart at a time. Next week's show features Dr. Kelly Brogan, a truly brave and brilliant woman. She's been on the show before um, talking about uh, mental health issues. This time we're talking about big tech censorship and big pharma and big bummers that are happening in our world right now. Of course, it's an empowering episode, but it's one that might shock your booties off. So make sure to subscribe to the show right now like i'll wait i'll wait i'm waiting dun, 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 dun. click subscribe actually i think you have to like pause it in the app and go to the bottom you know what i'm saying subscribe to the show damn it that way this episode and every episode coming at you in the future will just automatically and magically appear on your device i'd like to thank our sponsors organifi.com forward slash luke you can save 20 percent off their goodies with the code lifestylist then we've got uh, Onda Wellness. You know, just actually, I just realized I'm out of this damn CBD oil and it's so good for my sleep. I track my sleep using my Aura Ring, Aura, Onda, everything's an O something, is it not? Uh, and when I do this Onda Wellness, I'm telling you, I don't know if it's placebo. I don't know if it's the chronic ass bomb CBD that they're throwing out, but my sleep is incredible when I use this. So that's OndaWellness.com. Luke 15 gets you 15% off. And we've got foursigmatic.com forward slash the lifestylist. The code the lifestylist gets you 15% off there. I love the brands that I get to work with, man. It's so cool to not have to slang Diet Coke and I don't know. <laughs> what I don't even know what TV commercials are now. Vagisil, whatever. You know what I mean? 
I get to sell cool stuff for really cool companies. All the people behind these companies are freaking dope. Like I'm homies with the people at Four Sigmatic and Organifi and Owned a Wellness. These are people I text with and hang out with. They're really good people. They really care about their products. They really care about the environment, their employees, company culture. They're dope. Their packaging, the ecology, the planet, all that good stuff. Um, no, no swag advertisers on my show. And I'll let you know a little behind the scenes secret. I have been approached by a number of companies in the past three years, um, thankfully, which I'm grateful for. You know, not patting myself on the back there, but you know, I work hard to make a good show. People find out and they're like, ooh, I want to sell my shit on Luke's show. And so sometimes I'll interview them or have them send me a one sheet, you know, PDF or have them send me some product. And it's not that often that the products aren't in alignment, let's say, you know, to put it politely. But every once in a while, someone is slanging some whack stuff. And I'm just like, nope, can't do it. If it's not uh, a hell yes, it's a fuck no. You know what I mean? So um, I, I can swear at the end of the show. There's no kids listening to the end, right? The outro. There's probably no one listening to this. Out of the 20,000 people or something that's going to hear this one, I bet there's like two people that are going to hear me say the F word. So I'm, I try to do better with that during the show. You know, I mean, some people like it, some don't. It's always that fine line of being authentic, being real, but having some prudence and discernment and not, you know, uh, offending people unnecessarily. There's plenty of other words that can get the point across in most cases. Um, but there's no other way to say if it's not a hell yeah, it's a fuck no. If it's not a fuck yeah, it's a fuck no. How else do you say that with any impact? I don't know. Um, write to me if you have a better way. Or maybe we could just bleep it. If it's not a boop, yeah, it's a boop. No, that might work. I'm just rambling because I'm happy. Because guess what? By the time I wake up tomorrow morning, this show will have hit 3 million downloads. Now, you know... If my ego compares myself to the the um, the Tim Ferrisses and Joe Rogans of the world, I feel like a total loser. But for a guy who knew nothing about broadcasting and who knew nothing about podcasting and didn't finish high school and has really no <laughs> legal credentials to be an expert on anything other than life experience, subjective experience in the realm of spirit and, and health and uh, biohacking and all the things that I'm so deeply invested in. Uh, I'm pretty stoked that three million times one of these episodes has gone boink into someone's ears. It's pretty sweet. Uh, that said, my goal uh, starting, I guess I'll start right now and my goal definitely for 2020 is to get up to the um, what was my goal? <laughs> Should I forget? <laughs> That's why I'm not achieving my goals because I'm not clear. No, I had a very clear goal. Oh, I know what it is. 100,000 an episode. Yeah, 100,000 episodes. So I put in an average of six episodes out a month because I usually put out a couple bonus ones on Fridays. So yeah, 100,000 per episode. That would put me around 600,000 a month, which gets me you know, a couple of million, a few million a year. Now, right now I'm at 1 million episodes per year, basically, because I just finished my third year on June 6th and I'm about at three. So I'm a little slower than a million a year right at this point. And that's great. I'm very grateful, but um, not where I want to be. I have big hopes and big dreams for this show because I love doing it. And I know the people that find it seem to really like it. Now, of course, I don't hear from the people that listen to it or like that show's whack. It sucks and never listen to it again. Um, you know, I only hear from the people that are like, you're awesome. This show's great. However, I'm a huge podcast listener and fan, and I do think you and I and the guests are putting something kind of special here together. So um, that's my goal. So you can help me reach it by keeping your ears tuned in, subscribing to the show, and as I always, always, always request, um, share it with friends, you know? If you hear something about depression and you're like, oh, I think my friend Jimmy has depression, send that to his ass. Uh, if you... You know, know someone that <laughs> appreciate appreciates free speech. Uh, the um, First Amendment, our Constitution in the United States of America. You can send next week's episode with Kelly Brogan to them. You know what I mean? Like every episode fits one person in your life, I'm guessing. More than anything, I just want to thank you. And uh, I'm going to peace out and get ready to go to London in 10 days. Super excited about that. 
And um, by the time this comes out, let me look at the calendar here. By the time this comes out, will I be there yet? Let's see. Oh, shit. The day this one comes out, I'm going to be on an airplane to London. So there you go. Exciting stuff. Um, Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for a lot of live streams while I'm at this event. I'm going to be recording tons of podcasts. I'm going to be the MC. I'm going to be speaking. I'm going to be very involved with this epic event put on by Bulletproof Upgrade Labs and Paleo FX in a very unique and brand new partnership between those two entities. And I'm going to be right in the middle of it, live reporting the whole time. So uh, that would be, if you're listening to this in current time, this Saturday and Sunday, the 14th and 15th of September. And I'll be live streaming probably on the 13th, maybe a bit on the 16th. So basically like that four-day weekend, I'm just going to be cranking out content. So keep your ears peeled uh, to the show and also um, mainly to my Instagram, just at Luke Story. And also our private Facebook group, which is called The Lifestylist Podcast Group. And uh, you can request to join in there and catch tons of exclusive live stream interviews and all kinds of wacky antics and hijinks in there. All right. Have an excellent week and I'll be right back at you next Tuesday. This episode of The Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net.